Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. General David Petraeus is calling it our Dunkirk moment. Thousands remain stranded in Afghanistan this evening as the U.S. government scrambles to evacuate American citizens. While the fight for control of Afghanistan has come to an end, at least from the U.S. perspective, those who remain in country still are in the midst of a serious crisis. Friends, it's time for Hold the Line. As we carry out this departure, we have made it clear to the Taliban, if they attack our personnel or disrupt our operation, the U.S. presence will be swift and the response will be swift and forceful. We will defend our people with devastating force if necessary. Our current military mission will be short in time, limited in scope, and focused in its objectives. Get our people and our allies as safely as quickly as possible. Welcome to Hold the Line. I'm Buck Sexton. There you heard Biden yesterday addressing the nation about the utter debacle going on right now in Afghanistan. We know this is an enormous uh, catastrophe unfolding before our eyes here with Afghans running out onto the uh, the tarmac, running out onto the runways of Kabul airport, the Taliban sweeping across all of Afghanistan, seizing control of everything, including the capital city. And yesterday in the speech, Biden White House and Biden himself made it clear that this is faster than they expected, but it's a lot more than that, too. It's not over. Right now, we have thousands of U.S. personnel unaccounted for, and we don't know how or when we'll be able to get them out safely. The State Department spokesman, Ned Price, told U.S. citizens that they should shelter in place while the government figures it out. The safety and security of U.S. government employees and U.S. citizens overseas is our top priority. All remaining U.S. direct hire embassy personnel, including the ambassador, have relocated to Hamad Karzai International Airport, uh, where they are secure. The Department of Defense is working to restore a safe and secure environment so that military and commercial flights can resume. Now, of course, the situation is evolving quickly, and we will communicate information to U.S. citizens as rapidly as possible. In the meantime, we are asking U.S. citizens to shelter and not to travel to the airport until they hear otherwise from the Department of State. Stay where you are because they don't know if you'll be able to safely even get to the airport. Now, that's because the Taliban has set up checkpoints and is not allowing people to get to the airport because they're in control. They're not just in control of most of Afghanistan. They're running the capital city now. The only territory that is under U.S. positive control is, in fact, Kabul International Airport. Now, 
This also raises issues about why is the Biden administration caught so flat-footed here? Why are they so incapable of making the necessary moves to get U.S. personnel out safely? Well, Jackie Heinrich of Fox News tweeted out that uh, Kirby, the Pentagon spokesman, says American citizens will not be given priority evacuation over Afghan SIV applicants. Once we get more airlift out of Kabul, we're going to put as many people on those planes as we can. There will be a mix, not just American citizens, but perhaps some Afghan SIV applicants as well. We're going to focus on getting people out of the country, then sorting it out at the next stop. It's not going to be just Americans first, then SIV applicants, according to Kirby. That is pretty stunning, isn't it? We would think that in a situation like this, America first and Americans first, as in getting on the planes, uh, would be obvious that the government of the United States of America would actually prioritize its own citizens first and foremost. But the Biden administration is willing to make no such promise. They just view it as every man, woman, and child that they can get to these planes in whatever order they get them to these planes. It's all the same. Beyond that, how many Americans are actually in Afghanistan right now? The Biden administration pretends to know or pretends that they planned for all of this, every contingency, they said. So how many Americans are there? Well, here's Biden's Pentagon spokesman. Oh, today, if I can get some specifics here, how many Americans do you believe to be in Afghanistan right now? Well, we think there are certainly thousands of Americans. I, we don't have an exact uh, count. Uh, I would say somewhere, uh, best guess, between five and 10,000 that are, uh, that are, uh, are near Kabul. Uh, there was a message put out by the Secretary of sorry, the State Department today uh, advising uh, those Americans uh, uh, about how to queue up and how to get to the airport uh, so, so that we're, now that security is better, uh, they don't need to necessarily shelter in place and they can begin uh, movement to the airport for process. Processing for flights out. Oh, so now they can actually get to the airport near Kabul. Interesting. What exactly is going on here? It was sheltered place. Okay, now they've updated it with you can get to the airport. How is that even possible? Well, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan says the Taliban is going to provide safe passage of civilians to the airport. Play it. The Taliban have informed us that they are prepared to provide the safe passage of civilians to the airport, and we intend to hold them to that commitment. Do you believe them? Yes. Just for clarity on that, is there some deadline that's been set? Has the Taliban <laughs> assurances that this will go till August 31st? Is the deadline before that or after that, for clarity on what you just said? Till, we, we believe that this can go till the 31st. We are talking to them about what the exact timetable is for how this will all play out. And I don't want to uh, negotiate in public on, on working out the best modality to get the most people out in the most efficient way possible. So what exactly is going to happen? How is this all going to work out? Are there other plans in place for foreign nationals to get out of, out of Afghanistan from some of our allied countries? That's another question that you would think would be important to know about, right? Is Joe Biden in constant communication with other world leaders from around the world about this calamity, trying to minimize the damage here. Is that something that's actually happening? Turns out, no, Joe Biden's not talking to any of them, apparently. 
Yes. Okay, two questions for you. One, has the president spoken to any other world leaders since Kabul fell to the Taliban? Oh, sorry, I was looking at the wrong person. Uh, he has not uh, yet spoken with any other world leaders. Uh, myself, Secretary Blinken, uh, several other senior members of the team have been engaged on a regular basis with foreign counterparts, and we intend to do so in the coming days. Right now, the main issue is an, an operational issue. It's about how we coordinate with them to help them get their people out. Uh, operational issue. How could they have gotten this whole thing so wrong in this White House and this Biden administration? We all can see it. They can pretend that they prepared for this, but that's just nonsense. It's obvious. Well, now some of the bureaucracies involved, including the intelligence community, which I used to work for, uh, have warned, or rather are, are telling people they warned of the Afghan military's imminent collapse, despite Biden's assurances to the public, there were classified assessments, according to the New York Times, by American spy agencies over the summer, which painted an increasingly grim picture of the prospect of a Taliban takeover of Afghanistan and warned of the rapid collapse of the Afghan military, even as President Biden and his advisors said publicly that was unlikely to happen as quickly, according to current and former American government officials. So did Biden just ignore what was being told to him by his own intelligence community and by those who were supposed to be advising him on this issue because he thought he knew better? We may never really get the answers here. All we do know is that Joe Biden is in over his head and this is a disaster and we're not out of it yet. All right, we'll have more on the unfolding crisis in Afghanistan with the vice president of the Heritage Foundation, James Carafano, when we come back. But first, I wanna talk about my friends at My Digital Money. People want to invest in crypto, but it's not easy to get started, right? That's why Colin Plume, the CEO of Noble Gold, created My Digital Money. This is an easy-to-use, self-trading crypto IRA platform with concierge-level customer service. It's one of the few U.S.-based cryptocurrency companies that will answer your phone calls and help you get started. And because your comfort and security is their absolute top priority, they offer an unparalleled military-grade security for your coins, trigger orders to help secure opportunities for gains or limit losses without having to watch your account 24-7. A play money account so you can actually test the market without risking actual capital. And with the recent pullback of most of the major cryptocurrencies, this might be the best time to begin your crypto investments today. All right, this is the time to get going with this. So all you have to do right now is trust me on this one, all right? When it comes to your money, you deserve a team of people who have your back and will do everything they can to make sure you understand the crypto investment process and will treat you like a human, not just a number. Check them out at MyDigitalMoney.com. Again, that's MyDigitalMoney.com. We'll be right back with more Hold the Line. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Afghanistan political leaders gave up and fled the country. The Afghan military collapsed sometime without trying to fight. If anything, the developments of the past week reinforced that ending U.S. military involvement in Afghanistan now was the right decision. American troops cannot and should not be fighting in a war and dying in a war that Afghan forces are not willing to fight for themselves. 
President Biden arguing the lack of resistance from the Afghan military is evidence that the withdrawal of U.S. troops from the nation was the right move. While Afghan security forces folded quickly in the final days of the Taliban's push to reclaim the country, that doesn't paint a full picture of our Afghan allies. Research by Brown University estimates that at least 69,000 members of the Afghan military died in combat since the U.S. invasion. That's 30 times the number of U.S. servicemen who died over the same period of time. So what should we make of Biden's statement? Joining me now is Heritage Foundation Vice President James Carafano, who's also a veteran. Uh, Jim, good to see you, my friend. It sure sounds like the president is laying the blame for this debacle uh, largely at the feet of the Afghan security forces for lacking will to fight. What do you say to that? Well, I, I think the, the president made a double blunder. First, first of all, he made a, a terrible strategic decision. He had a real strategy problem. And then he laid on top of that a real political problem because his speech was basically a defense of his decision making. And so he made it all about him and his decision. And the problem in doing that is everything he said is demonstrably false. The, the reason why the Afghan lost political will and the military disintegrated was because the U.S. left. As long as the U.S. was there, the, the, the Afghans would continue fighting because they knew that the American presence was the ultimate deterrent against the Taliban ever really threatening them. And we always had their back. And Americans weren't fighting and dying. As you all know, Americans didn't take a casualty in a year and a half. We were spending less in Afghanistan in a year than we used to spend in a week. Um, as a matter of fact, Biden will probably spend 10 or 20 times more to get everybody out of Afghanistan than we spent staying there. So his his painting of a thing is Americans were, were fighting in the middle of, a, a, of an unwinnable civil war. That's just a false narrative. And the problem for the president is it's clearly a demonstrable false narrative. And by, by saying that, he not only faces a problem that he can't solve, he's now created a political credibility problem that he can't solve. It would be as if FDR had made the Day of Infamy speech all about how Pearl Harbor was not his fault. You know, if he'd done that, he probably would have got impeached. Instead, he said, this is a great defeat, and we're going to go forward, and we're going to revenge it. And, and Biden said, this is a great defeat, but it's not my fault. And, and I'm going to do nothing to protect America's interests. He has really dug a hole for himself. Jim, I, I just want to know what you think of the uh, national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, today saying that, I mean, he, he made this, this case when they were doing the White House press conference right before Jen Psaki came back from vacation, took over. And he was, uh, Sullivan's case to the American people was that the Taliban was already on the, on the rise, on the move, and that in order to prevent a major escalation of U.S. troops to meet the enhanced Taliban uh, posture and, and control in the country, essentially to, to deal with the oncoming Taliban onslaught was going to take more U.S. troops. So we're going to have to actually do real frontline fighting again. Do, do you find that credible? Because that was clearly the case the National Security Advisor was trying to make today. Yeah, except we were there for 20 years and the Taliban never mounted that kind of effort. Uh, and clearly under Trump, when the U.S. was actually drawing down and the Taliban got aggressive and Trump whacked the heck out of them, they backed off. 
So I I find not only his his statement you know unpersuasive, I, I actually think it it it's a it's actually a different explanation than the president gave just the day before. Yeah. So it it just yeah. it just sounds like they're scrambling for cover. And look, here's the big problem. Now, I don't think a lot of people. But the big problem a lot of people really haven't talked about is these are not rookie mistakes, right? These are not, this is not Jimmy Carter coming to town with a bunch of inexperienced people kind of screwing things up or, you know, Kennedy falling into the Bay of Pigs. This is an experienced team. Everybody on his team was around for eight years under Obama. They, they went through a number of crises, you know, Iraq and ISIS, uh, Syria and the red line, the Benghazi and Libya. This is a really experienced team making really, really, really amateur mistakes. That ought to scare the heck out of people. Now, why do you think that is? I mean, what, what was the, the thinking on this where they would make a, I mean, it, it seemed like at a minimum, Biden and his team would understand the optics of people scrambling onto the, uh, onto the runways at, at Kabul airport, people gripping onto the landing gears of C-17s and even falling to their deaths because they're so desperate to try to escape Afghanistan. I mean, to say this looks bad is a dramatic understatement. How, how did they mess this up so badly, Jim? I just got to pose that to you. Yeah, I got to be honest with you. I just think they're a fundamentally bad team and they're just not very good at running stuff. I, look, I think the Biden assumption was I am gifting Afghanistan to the Taliban. Certainly the Taliban are gonna allow me to walk away before they take over the country. And then once they take over the country, I'll just say, oh, well, you know, we weren't there, it's not our problem. That was ludicrous. Of course the Taliban were gonna humiliate the United States going out the door. But here's the deal. They had no plan for that. There, there was no plan A, let alone a plan B. You know, Obama walked away from Iraq when it was at peace and everybody said bad things could happen. There was no plan to deal with that. Um, he put a red line out in Syria and Assad crossed it. There was no plan to deal with that. They they overthrew the government of Libya and led from behind. And, and they said, well, chaos could erupt in the country. There was no plan for that. They make the same mistakes over and over and over again. So what else can you assume? It's, they're just bad at this stuff. Jim, what do you think the rest of this looks like in terms of the thousands of Americans who are still, as we speak, being blocked from access to the Kabul airport, have not been able to get out of that country? Are you concerned that we could be faced with a hostage situation here? Yeah, so there's, there's two problems. There's the immediate problem and then the, the problem behind the immediate problem. So the immediate problem is, is there's only one of two ways this go. You know, Americans can't go out and fight for these hostages. That would be like Black Hawk Down. So either there's a potential here with tens of thousands of American and other countries here for an Iran-like hostage situation in which they continue to embarrass in America, or the Taliban demand a really high price for these people to get to go to the airport uh, and the Biden team pays that price and that's a humiliation. And on top of that, the Taliban will continue to humiliate us going out the door. So that's that's the next days, weeks, maybe months, who knows. But beyond that's the next crisis. We're gonna have a resurgence of the, or very likely have a resurgence of the global terrorist threat. Um, the Taliban are gonna allow a sanctuary in Afghanistan. That's a foregone conclusion. 
And this is a clear Taliban victory. It's going to inspire Islamist terrorists to rise up again around the world. So that's the next problem we're going to have to face. And then we've massively strategically enabled China. China now has a land bridge to Iran. They have access to all the Afghan resources. Uh, potentially, they have a tool for threatening um, uh, India. Um, we put China in an enormously better strategic position, and they're going to take massive advantage of that. So Jim, it's not just we're gonna, we're, those are those are issues that uh, we're going to have you back to talk about in the future for sure. Appreciate the expertise, my friend, as always. Good to see you. Thank you, my friend. Today, New York City became the largest city in the nation to implement a vaccine mandate for most public and indoor activities. New York Post columnist David Marcus joins us when we come back to discuss the details. But first, let's talk about your most important asset, your home. How much equity do you have in your home? 50,000, 100,000, more? Cybercrime experts are alerting homeowners that the more equity you have, the greater the chance foreign and domestic cyber criminals will come after your home. It's not hard to do. Home title theft is a fast growing crime. In fact, Home Title Lock, America's leader in home title protection, is trying to alert people out there who are homeowners about how they can become a victim and not even know it. Here's how the crime goes down. First, cyber thieves search hundreds of public databases for high equity homes. Next, they pull your home's online title, forge your signature stating you sold your home and take out loans using your equity. You're not covered by insurance, your bank, or common identity theft programs. Protect your most valuable asset. Register your address now to see if you're already a victim and receive a complete title history of your home, a $100 value, free. Go to HomeTitleLock.com. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com. New York Post columnist David Marcus joins us next. Stay right with us. The key to New York City. When you hear those words, I want you to imagine the notion that because someone's vaccinated, they can do all the amazing things that are available in this city. This is a miraculous place, full, literally full of wonders. And if you're vaccinated, all that's going to open up to you. You'll have the key. You can open the door. But if you're unvaccinated, unfortunately, you will not be able to participate in many things. That's the point we're trying to get across. It's happening, folks. Starting today, New York City will require proof of vaccination to eat indoors at a restaurant, go to the gym, or even see a show, becoming the first big city in the U.S. to impose such restrictions. With under 70% of New York adults fully vaccinated, how is this going to pan out? Let's talk to New York Post, uh, New York Post political reporter David Marcus. David, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. First of all, do you think that this is going to stand? I mean, do you think that this is going to be something that New Yorkers allow to be enforced for weeks and months, perhaps even years to come? I don't know. I mean, I think to some extent it depends on what the enforcement mechanisms are going to be. Uh, and I don't think we're clear on that right now. I mean, um, restaurants that, that let people in without um, vaccination cards, to what extent are they uh, going to be punished? So I, I think we'll have to see some of that play out. But, you know, look, I, I'm, I'm vaccinated. Um, you know, I'm middle-aged and I smoke like a 19th century Manchester factory. So, I, you know, I, I thought it made sense for me. Um, but I'm not going to show a medical card uh, to go to a restaurant or to go to a show because I, I think it's clearly something that will lead to a further erosion of Americans' rights. Um, and this is someplace where I'll draw a line and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll eat outside or I'll, I'll get takeout, but, but I, I won't go this far. I mean, to me, it also seems just 
putting aside for a moment some of the scientific uh, shortcomings, shall we say, of this plan, making establishments now play vaccine police, this is going to be this is going to be really tense. I mean, there are going to be people that react very badly to being told, show me your vax card. Oh, and by the way, show me your ID, which is now necessary. Yeah, and all along, the restaurant owners have been deputized against their will uh, under the threat of, of penalties and fines. Um, I've been thinking a lot about two of uh, my favorite authors of the 20th century, Franz Kafka and Václav Havel, who, who both had an enormously, an enormously wonderful facility for describing the authoritarian bureaucracies of their of their days, you know, decades and decades ago. And oftentimes the characters are funny because the rules are so ridiculous. The rules are so absurd. You have these bumbling bureaucrats. And what you realize when you read these authors is that the absurdity is the point. Uh, if you can force people to jump through ridiculous hoops just so they can go about their daily lives, you can make them incredibly compliant. And as this becomes a habit for New Yorkers and others across the country, uh, I, I'm, I'm worried that we're not crushing the virus. We're, we're crushing people's ability to question their own government. The vaccine card apparently unlock uh, vaccine card. The key to New York unlocks uh, indoor entertainment, fitness, gyms, catering halls, bars, concert venues, nightclubs, all the coffee shops, bakers, everything. Right. I mean, this is basically any public life that you want to have. I guess, with the exception maybe of, gro of grocery stores. I guess you could still go to grocery stores because they don't want people to starve uh, who don't get vaccinated. But David, this also raises some issues for the fact that the, uh, the African-American community in New York specifically is left less than half vaccinated by the city's own numbers. So suddenly it's not racist to ask for ID to do everything except vote. Racist, it's racist to, vote, to uh, ask for ID for voting. And oh, by the way, Here's the Democrat mayor of the biggest city and the, certainly the biggest Democrat city as well in the country, effectively excluding a majority of the black population of his city from public life. And it seems like Democrats are just OK with this. I mean, they're trying to ignore it, but it's, it's clearly a huge issue. And again, if this is enforced, um, you're going to see disparities, right? You're, you're going to see. Uh, businesses that cater to the black community where there's less vaccination uh, punished more than than you will, you know, whiter establishments on the Upper West Side or whatever. So, yeah, it's it's kind of baffling to me because from the beginning, uh, uh, you know, the Biden administration, the Cuomo administration, de Blasio, they always said our primary goal here is equity, right? Like we're, we're going to make sure that that, you know, the black people and Hispanic people and all different kinds, LGBT, everybody has equal access to the vaccine, and they fail. I mean, clearly, by the numbers, their effort has been an abject failure, and I, I, I think we have to ask why. I also think it's noteworthy that we're getting these vaccine cards in New York, and I was just recently forced to be vaccinated because I want to be able to go to my own brother's wedding, and the wedding venue, because it's in New York City, says, got to be vaccinated to attend. Um, but I think it's amazing that we've also been told there's a recommendation now for a third shot, which what they're not saying here, David, is that that means quite obviously for everybody. They want they want everyone to get eight, eight months after the initial vaccination. That means that the people who are saying this stuff fades pretty quickly. The antibodies don't provide uh, ongoing protection as long as we initially thought those people were correct. And so what we actually have set up here isn't a get vaccinated. You'll have your card and you're done system, but a continue to get vaccinated and update your card 
forever system. At least that's what it looks like, unless I'm missing something. I, I, I don't I don't think you're missing anything. I, I, I think that's I think that's exactly right. And again, that 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 speaks to the point that we're no longer at the emergency stage of this. We haven't been, I'd argue, for well over a year. I mean, there was a time when we had freezer trucks that were full of bodies and we had a real risk of hospitals being uh, you know, overrun where maybe some of these things made sense. Uh, we're not there anymore. And so you're absolutely right that all of the choices that we make right now, everything that we consent to right now, we need to be prepared for that to, to be around for the rest of our lives and for the rest of our children's lives. Do you think the Biden administration is going to, because I know right now we're talking so much about New York, you're in New York, I'm in New York, but for the rest of the country who's watching this, I think that they talked about interstate travel restrictions, the biggest one that would come to mind, obviously. I mean, yeah, rail, but for most people it's flights, right? It's being able to fly places because you really don't have a realistic alternative if you want to get from San Fran to Miami, right? I mean, there's the reality here is if you can't fly, your restrictions that'll affect your work and your personal life are pretty, pretty severe when it comes to travel. Do you think they're going to put a vaccine mandate in place for interstate travel? They talked about it last week and said that they thought it would be too divisive, but that was last week. I don't know. I, I mean, I, 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 think it, I, I think as far as the Biden administration is concerned right now, they're going to do whatever they need to try to get out of this absolute tailspin that they have with regard to Afghanistan. So I mean, if they make a political calculation that some bold move like that on coronavirus will change the story, um, maybe they will. Um, but again, it's 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 all about enforcement, right? How are you going to enforce that in the Holland Tunnel? Are, are we going to check everybody as they go through? Um, these are coercive tactics from our government. And, and I hope that, look, there's obviously you should go to your brother's wedding, right? But but I hope that to the extent it's possible for people to do it, um, they push back a little and say, no, we're, we're not going to jump through your hoops for the rest of our lives. David Marcus, columnist at The New York Post. Good to have you. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Ben. Chris Cuomo of CNN breaking his silence over his brother's resignation as governor of New York. We'll have the video for you in a moment. But first, let's talk about the crypto market. A lot of cryptocurrency investment these days, right? Bitcoin, Ethereum, dozens of tokens out there. But how do you get started? That's why Colin Plume, the CEO of Noble Gold, decided to create My Digital Money. This is a self-trading crypto IRA platform with concierge-level customer service. Your comfort and security is their absolute top priorities. They offer an unparalleled military-grade security for your coins, trigger orders to help you secure opportunities for gains or limit losses without having to watch your account 24-7, a play money account so you can test the market without risking your money, and with the crypto market really heating up right now, this might be the best time to get into this exciting technology-based investment. When it comes to your money, you deserve a team of dedicated professionals who have your back, speak to you honestly, and treat you like a human, not just a number. Check them out at MyDigitalMoney.com. That's MyDigitalMoney.com. The First TV's Morgan Zeggers joins us to discuss the latest in the Cuomo saga when we come back. While it was something I never imagined ever having to do, I did urge my brother to resign when the time came. My position has never changed. I never misled anyone about the information I was delivering or not delivering on this program. I never attacked nor encouraged anyone to attack any woman who came forward. I tried to do the right thing, and I just want you all to know that. CNN host Chris Cuomo breaking his silence on the potential conflict of interest in the lead up to his brother 
Andrew Cuomo's resignation as governor of New York. CNN anchor has been taking flack for his part in private calls with the governor's top strategist during the height of the recent sexual harassment scandal that brought Governor Cuomo down. So can we expect CNN to hold Cuomo accountable? Joining me now to discuss is the founder of Young Americans Against Socialism and a contributor here at The First TV, Morgan Zeggers. Morgan, great to see you. Thanks for having me back, Buck. So it feels like we have these conversations in the conservative uh, side of things about, oh, look at this, a conflict of interest or lack of ethics or whatever. Should we actually think that they're going to hold Chris Cuomo accountable for journalistic standards violations here? I feel like he's part of the club. Yeah. Oh, goodness. No, we're going to see no accountability held there. I mean, Jeffrey Tubin just did a really weird thing and they brought him back like right away to start talking about other people's scandals. And I thought that was just so funny. I will say, though, Chris Cuomo comes across so disingenuous in this. I was watching his original apology when it was first airing and I was like, this sounds like when a boyfriend cheats on you and is telling you that he would never do something like that. And he's asking for your forgiveness. I just don't believe the guy. And here we are, though, being told that the Cuomo resignation is somehow proof, I don't know, that the Democrats, uh, you know, clean up their own house, so to speak. That I, I think that they believe that this ends up with a, a kind of win for the Democrat brand, even if it's damaging for the Cuomo brand. But do, do you foresee there to be uh, any introspection from the media about the fact that this was the guy, Governor Cuomo, taking a break from Chris for a second here, that they held up as a hero of the pandemic. And even after all the allegations came out, they were willing to keep talking about him like he was possible presidential contender. Of course, Buck, I'm not going to fall for their lies, for their games anymore. Let's be honest here. Cuomo is saying that he is stepping down because there were sexual harassment and inappropriate behavior in the workplace allegations. When in reality, this has nothing to do with that situation at all. He is using this situation and the Me Too movement and these women that are thinking that they're seeking justice. He's using them to get out of a much worse situation that would happen if he was actually held accountable and investigated for the nursing home home and COVID-19 authoritarian practices that he played out over the last two years. So he's using the women once again to get out of a worse problem. And I think it's an absolute shame. There's a lot of women right now thinking, oh, we just won something for the Me Too movement. No, no, you're being used. Yeah, it feels like the Democrat brand at a, at a national level in terms of being the lockdowners, the Fauciites, uh, the people that listen to the science that is preserved in, in a sense here because, because Governor Cuo, former Governor Cuomo, or soon to be former Governor Cuomo, has uh, resigned only because, at this stage at least, of what we know of the sexual harassment report that came out against him. It wasn't because of the nursing homes yet. And since there's no reckoning with that, it feels like there's no justice for the families of those who were put in undue harm because of the Cuomo executive order about nursing homes. Exactly. First of all, I don't mean to dismiss what happened to those women. I think it's great that they spoke up. And if you behave like that in the workplace, it should not be allowed. I've experienced it a lot myself, and I think it's really important for women to stand their ground on this. So good for them. The problem is that he's using this situation to get out of being held accountable for a much worse situation. The fact that thousands of people died because our governor, I'm from New York State, I'm from upstate New York, actually, he ordered COVID positive patients into nursing homes and then directed his administrative 
staff to start hiding that information. So they hid numbers from the population. It's very serious what he did, Buck, and he's trying to get out of it. Back to the uh, the brothers Cuomo situation here for a moment. And the reality was that as that was happening, what you just talked about, uh, Chris Cuomo was having a kind of comedy variety hour with the governor of New York, his brother, on CNN air while the pandemic was raging and people were dying in unprecedented numbers, including and in, in particular in those New York state nursing homes, seems to raise, Morgan, uh, the reality here of our political and media elites, which is that we shouldn't expect them to be able to, that, that the journos uh, will fairly cover politicians who they're in many ways either friends with or related to and have this unbelievably cozy relationship. So is that something that we just have to keep in mind going forward? Should we just assume that Democrat politicians aren't going to be covered uh, in any way with fairness by the Democrat-aligned media? Because it seems pretty obvious. Yeah, Buck, we are way past that understanding. It should be known by now. And what I'm worried about is people are so indoctrinated by this propaganda, not just fake news, propaganda that we get from the mainstream media and the left-wing media that they can't understand they're being lied to anymore. So the best thing we can do, I do know of a study from Michigan State University that said hearing things from a peer and not from an authority is actually a very effective way to reach people with an opposing viewpoint. And so I hope that encourages Americans out there to use that peer rationale, peer-to-peer -peer communication to try and reach the other people in their lives that may be being lied to and are actually falling for it. But at the end of the day, I think what we're suffering from is we are being led by idiots. We are being led by people who are power hungry. And most importantly, Buck, they have no morals whatsoever. They are morally weak people, weak character. And I'm not talking about, you know, going to the gym and can they lift a lot? These people have no substance on the inside of their minds and it's leading to serious problems, whether it's Biden with his failure at the border, with his failure in Afghanistan, or Cuomo sending COVID positive patients into homes where our most our most at-risk population is the elderly. So this is ridiculous. And I'm really frustrated because when we talk about people leaving New York State, California, for states like Texas, states like Florida. We always say oh, it's probably because they're sick of paying taxes, they're sick of the regulations, they're sick of the corruption. Well, we need to also start thinking about what are we doing when we decide to live in a blue state, not just, okay, we'll pay the higher taxes, but instead we're saying if a pandemic hits, if a crisis happens, I'm saying I want Governor Cuomo or Governor Gavin Newsom to be my leader through this crisis. Absolutely not. I hope people will look at these situations and say, okay, I need to change how I look at choosing my leadership for me and my family and our family's future. Morgan, always good to have you. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks, Buck. Coming up, one member of the squad who's a vocal advocate for extending the eviction moratorium and canceling rent raked in up to $15,000 in rental payments on an investment property last year. Oh yeah, quick hits, that's coming up. Speaking of real estate, have you ever thought about investing in real estate? Take me up on this recommendation. Visit doneforyoubuck.com where you can learn more about my friends at Done For Your Real Estate. If you haven't checked them out yet, let me make this easy for you. These guys have found a way to make real estate investing straightforward and their system works. I know because I'm using it successfully. It allows everyday hardworking Americans to own investment real estate without all the risk and difficulty of doing it on your own. I can't tell you in strong enough terms during the 60 second commercial how important it is you check these guys out. So how about this? If you visit doneforyoubuck.com, at the top of the page is a podcast interview I did with Done For Your Real Estate, where you can hear my personal experience with their company in my own words. 
I'll tell you about it in detail, from picking the city to the house, getting the broker, the loan, even a tenant in place, so I get that free cash flow coming to me every month, and the mortgage is getting paid down. Visit doneforyoubuck.com, listen to the podcast interview, and give my friends a chance to show you what they can do for you. Quick hits up next. Stay with us. We thought the NYC vaccine key pass was strict, didn't we? Well, Australian citizens are not allowed to remove their masks outdoors to take a sip of alcohol now. Yep. Oh, and don't even get me started on the latest COVID tyranny coming out of New Zealand. But uh, actually, well, no, get me started in quick hits with it right now. First off, New Zealand, right? Our Kiwi friends from down in the uh, Southwest Pacific, uh, they have, or yeah, the South Pacific, doesn't matter. <laughs> they have decided to enter nationwide lockdown after one, one COVID case. New Zealand's government took drastic action Tuesday by putting the entire nation into a strict lockdown for at least three days after finding a single case of coronavirus infection in the community. The prime minister invoked some of the stirring rhetoric she used early in the pandemic by urging the team of 5 million, the country's population, to go hard and early in trying to eliminate the latest outbreak. One COVID case, 5 million people told they can't live their lives and have to stay home. This is crazy. Now, we also have in Australia, the, uh, uh, Daniel Andrews, uh, who is one of, their, one of their politicians, issued a, a threatening decree here about this uh, where you can't remember. So, the, so in New Zealand, lockdown for one case. In Australia, where they've really kind of unveiled a dystopian COVID state for all the world to see. They've got the military out there enforcing it. Huge fines for people who break mass quarantine. This is madness. I mean, this is crazy what these people are doing. And they're Aussies. I mean, it's a country that is near and dear to Americans and that we have a lot of similarities and commonalities with. Well, now they're issuing decrees about how you can't drink alcohol outdoors with your mask off. Not allowed. There will be no removal of masks to consume alcohol outdoors. So you will no longer be able to remove your mask to drink a cocktail uh, at a pop-up beer garden on a footpath uh, as part of a pub crawl. Again, that makes you angry, but why am I angry about that? Because it devalues the work that thousands of publicans and restaurant owners and bar owners, the good work that they're doing, diligently following COVID safe protocols, providing takeaway, take away, not hang around and turn the footpath into a pub. Pubs are shut for a reason. It's not safe for them to be open. It's as simple as that. So it's take away only allowed here, meaning that if you stop to take a drink and pull your mask down and have a chat with your neighbor, because I also told you, you may remember that, Australian authorities told Aussies, don't even stop to talk to people. This is the world that we're living in now, at least that the Aussies, the Kiwis, and uh, New Zealanders, and a lot of places in the United States are going through this. Hypocrisy is central to the Democrat ethos, as you know, and this is another great case of it. Cancel rent advocate Ayanna Presley, member of the squad. Uh, well, she herself made thousands in rental income. While Massachusetts Democrat Ayanna Presley put forth a measure to slash mortgage payments and rent across the country amid the COVID-19 lockdowns, her recently filed financial disclosure forms indicate she made between five dollars and $15,000 in rental income on a property in Boston in her husband's name. 
So cancel rent, but she's still getting her rent payments for her investment property. Yeah, what a surprise. Why not waive that? The pandemic's so hard on people. Oh, okay. As long as she's getting her money, the rest of us are just supposed to deal with it, I suppose. That's the Democrat mantra with all this, isn't it? That's it for tonight's Hold the, Hold the Line. The No Spin News with Bill O'Reilly's coming up. Shields high.